Ben and uh, have someone open in prayer. Who'd like to open us in prayer this morning? Hey, David, how would you like to open us in prayer? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, dear God, thank you for letting us have this time together and bringing everyone here so that we can listen to your word and uh, listen to a great teacher telling us, you know, uh, just what, what how we can interpret this and uh, please help us come closer together and help us use this information that we learned this week to benefit others and to bring others closer to you. I ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So I thought we'd take a look at uh, Psalm 40 this morning to get started. I know that I say this is always every week. I say this is one of my favorite psalms. This is actually one of my favorite psalms. When I was asked uh, by a cousin that they were putting together a memorial uh, uh, scrapbook for my grandmother, and so, you know, get trapped at the family meal, and said, what's your favorite psalm? Psalm 40, especially the first three verses. <coughs> so whoever gets to uh, Psalm 40 first. Psalm 40, my help and my deliverer, to the choir master, Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the crowd, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied the Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts for us. None can compare with you. I will, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given to the living Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your lot is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have not I have spoken your faithfulness in your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fills me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who put to shame and disappoint me altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those who turn back and brought to dishonor be delighted in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation stay continually great with the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me, for my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Amen. Do not delay, oh my God. So, um, Y'all ever have one of those days, weeks, months, years, where it's like, wow, I could park that and never come back to it. Um, it's been an interesting week. I was um, traveling out to Branson, uh, Missouri. I was in Missouri most of the week. And it was a week of politics and intrigue and all the things that we 
I'm not about at all. I hate doing that kind of stuff. Kind of stuff that makes a tight knot in my stomach. And then early on in the week, I got a, an email that one of my team back here in Portland was leaving, and, uh, and I wasn't there to address it. Uh, a young gal who just started a year ago. And it was just one of those weeks. And so when I have one of those kind of weeks, that's when I actually reach out to psalms like Psalm 140. Uh, the Lord is our helper. He is our deliverer. He is um, kind. And, you know, He's described as loving kindness. That's, that's the way He is towards us. We need to know that. We need to know that that's who our Lord is. Um, we need to be able to take refuge in Him. And, you know, it, it says, the, the first verse is, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me heard my cry. And we need to know that when we hang in there, he is listening, and he does hear our cry. And what he does is he brings us out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and sets our feet upon a rock, making our footsteps sure. So what is that rock? That's right. That um, the rock is, is God himself in the sun. Jesus. And he puts a new song in our mouth of praise for our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And I think that that last part there, many will see and fear, I think that's what's going on in the world today. Um, it's a lot of different ideas about what's right, what's true, what's good. And what we hold to is that God is right true and good. The God uh, that we read about in the Bible who identified himself personally um, by a name which means I am. Um, so in the, the Hebrew the, the consonants are if you put them with the vowels for Adonai which also means Lord is Yahweh. And uh, it's such a powerful name. Uh, the name that means the one who is self-existent creator of all things. Um, such a powerful name that the Jews won't even speak it. And yet, God invites us to speak his name. He invites us to draw near. And that's what we're actually reading about in John chapter 15. So, this is one of those great um, great parts of what we call the, the upper room discourse. Some people would say that the, the core theme of the upper room discourse it is captured in uh, John chapter 15, especially in the section that we're looking at today, which has to do with uh, um, love and understanding what real love is, the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit to us, towards us, in us. Um, so many would say that this is, this is the, the core of the Upper Room Discourse. And that if you look at it, it has a chiastic structure. In other words, it, um, the, the uh, Greek letter key is uh, an X shape. Right? And so a lot of times, you know, you'll see, this is one thing I didn't understand. When I was a young Christian, I'd see Xmas everywhere, you know, happy Xmas. And I was very offended. It's like, man, they can't even say the name Christ. Well, the, the, that letter in Greek, key, is the shortened name for Christ. So that is actually uh, using Christ's name. It's just doing it with the Greek alphabet. 
And so they say that this, this uh, upper room discourse a lot of times has a chiastic structure, and that this, this is the center of that uh, chiasm. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I wouldn't organize it like that, but I certainly love this section of John because it's talking about how we uh, draw near to God and how important that is um, to actually not just have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but to uh, you know have a heart knowledge. And a heart knowledge is one where it's a place where you live. You know, when when uh, and I'll, I'll go back to example. The only you know I have to have simple examples. God has to make things really simple for me. So um, I'm one of those um, folks that um, I'm naturally uh, drawn into relationship, and that's how um, I understand um, the kind of intimacy that God has. Is the kind of intimacy that I share with my wife, and that. Um, I know that there are some that are that are born to be single, but most people are born to be married, born to be in a relationship. And you go back and you look at original design and see why that is. Well, <clears throat> when I'm away, like I was this whole week, um, I have this emptiness, I have this hole um, that is about being with my wife. She has the same thing. You know, we text back and forth. You know, not even through security at the airport, and I already experiencing that um, because we're not together. We're not dwelling together. We're not abiding together. We're not remaining uh, together in that close, intimate relationship. And even in physical relationships um, or temporal relationships might be a better word, um, we know that that isn't uh, as close as you can get. There is a closer intimacy that you can have, and very few people ever actually get near that kind of close intimacy. And I would say that nobody actually arrives because it's the kind of intimacy that God designed us for with Him. And that first we have to have relationship, <clears throat> this intimacy with Him and in Him, and then we have that relationship outward, right? And that um, we understand that the vertical comes before the horizontal, and that there is a community um, that God has created that we share in that same kind of relationship. But the core of that relationship is a relationship with God Himself, and that's what we read about in the the vine and the branches. We're reading about abiding in God, and so uh, and and we're going to kind of flesh out that word today and why that's so central to the Upper Room Discourse. So uh, I mentioned that I would read the theme of John every week, and we're going to read it again today. Um, what's John about? Not about winter. <laughs> Although winter is good. John is all about helping us um, know in a capacity like we're sharing this morning, having... Um, an understanding through the illumination of the Holy Spirit of the Word of God and that that would touch us at our deepest um, point as, a, as a, a creation of God and we call that the heart and that that would transform us in such a way that we would uh, totally throw ourselves into it that we would believe that we would trust that um, we would trust in what? We would trust in the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is such that even though 
through our own transgression, David said, you know, my own sins, let alone the whole world, the world's trying to kill me, but just myself, if I looked at my own sins, they're more numerous than the hairs on my head. Now, I know Jack is not a very sinful guy because he didn't have much there at the top, but nonetheless, we understand that, that concept of um, if we truly are honest and look at ourselves, man, we separate ourselves from God. It isn't that God separates himself from us. We separate ourselves from God. We walk away from him. And, and David said, you know, even in that place, I could totally throw myself into him, which is why David was called a man after God's heart. Not that he was a man without sin um, or incredible foibles. You know, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was, you know, the very kinds of things that we think are the worst kind of people. And yet, in the depth of his depravity, in the depth of the pit, he cried out to the Lord and leaned into him. And that's that belief part. Um, and then finally, once you have this, this understanding of who God is and you've trusted him, you've thrown all in with him and his goodness and that belief, then there's a walk. <clears throat> it's a way of life. So it's not just about um, doctrine, which would be the knowledge area, and it's not just about belief, which might be the ethical area. It's about how we live. So in that sense, it's mystical. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read the theme of John. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So this is all about um, knowing, believing, and having life in him. So let's take a look at what that life looks like in Jesus. And I'm going to read the whole of uh, chapter 15 through the first four verses of chapter 16. And we started, and I know we were taking apart chapter 15, we'll come back to that, quickly jump over it into the the end part and starting in verse 12 and then we'll push through to the end. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own, but because you were not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they did not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me, and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will also testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogues. But an hour is coming for everyone <clears throat> hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Go ahead and, and uh, pause right there for a moment. Um, and, and go back and take a look at what we covered last week. So, uh, we started out with the statement, this is another I am statement. So you got to pay attention to those when Jesus says, I am. Right? He said, I am the bread of life. Right? He said, I am the light which illumines the world. Um, he said that he is the good shepherd. Right? So we understand that when he's making these claims, he's giving us both um, an understanding that helps us to under, you know, to, to figure out who is this man Jesus and how he's related to the Father God in heaven. But it's also um, a statement of uh, that affinity or oneness of himself with God because these are characteristics of God. So we understand that there is one source of life, Right? That life is the Creator, Yahweh, the one who gave us His name as being self-existent. He said, "I am," um, and so that means that He is. Uh, there is no beginning, no end. That everything that uh, we understand as the universe and life comes from Him. Jesus is making this statement. He says, "I am the true vine." I am the true source of life. And my father is the vine dresser. So now he's talking about how the relationship between the, the life itself and that which makes more life occurs. So life uh, brings life. And death brings death. So one of the things we understand about God and Jesus is wherever he went, he brought life. And you saw that 
in his ministry. Right? And we understand that the way the world is, and if you watch television or you read media or you're on the internet, you're constantly shown what, in, in, in very uh, real terms, what the nature of the world is. And there is no life in it. It promises life, but it never delivers, ever. Uh, people want life, and that's why they pursue these false claims. They believe a lie. They believe that um, if we are smart enough and good enough, we can be our own God. That we can cure the problem of mortality. That we can stay off death through um, all sorts of science. Right? We can master the machine. That was the promise of the modern era. Um, or that we can um, put ourselves in the place of truth, which starts and ends with us. Right? So that's what the world's telling you. And where has that ever succeeded? What is the evidence that that actually brings life? You know, I, I look at the theme of, of movies and media because uh, it's of interest to me. I don't know why. I guess I'm just of that generation. You know, so I watch movies uh, and I'm paying attention. What is this movie trying to tell me? Or what is this television program trying to tell me? Um, I'm especially intrigued right now with the uh, British um, BBC thing called Doctor Who. And, uh, and so we're watching Doctor Who and Karen's become a Whovian. Uh, <laughs> so those of you that are, you know, follow that very seriously. But what is that about? It's about this, this idea that you can be the master of time and life and, and goodness, right? That the battle that you have with the evil that you come into contact with, which is both within you and without you, is masterable. And, and that never works. right? Even in the show, even though it's promising that, it, ne it can never deliver. There's always death from death. right? Um, and you don't ever see the ability to truly bring life. The only one that has ever done that is the author of life. And that's God. And we understand here that that is God in the Son. That he is the true vine. And his Father is the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? do? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So this whole of drawing near to God and drawing near to his life is about not just um, being enlivened, Coming, uh, being, becoming alive yourself by being connected to the source of life, but it's about increasing in that. And that's the way God is. I mean, when you look at the, the creation that he spoke into existence, it's, it's incredible. You know, the, the, uh, the depth of that uh, awesomeness of creation hit me this week. I mean, it hits me every week. And I think about these things all the time. And maybe I'm just weird. But uh, I'm thinking of the kinds of things that we create, we plug into the wall. Right? So we might create a phone. It's a smartphone. And it's an internet. And it's really cool. Right? You can do all sorts of cool things with the internet and your smartphone. How do you put life into that? You plug it into the wall. And if you don't plug it into the wall, it's going to run down and run out. And it'll become useless lump of, of stuff. Right? 
That's how we put life into things. How did God put life into things? He did it through um, having a communion with his creation. When he created Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to tend my garden. I want you to care for my creation. He put us in dominion over the animals. Adam named all the animals. And what did Adam do? He actually partook of the fruit of the garden. And that sustained him. And here we are every day, we go through this, and for many it's a ritual, for some it's not important, others it's more important, we eat. And this is a very Baptist thing, by the way. So God, you know, put the Baptist there at the very beginning, where you had the potluck dinner, and that's what it's all about, right? So that we, in the course of drawing together and nourishing our bodies, and how does that nourishment occur? It's a phenomenon. If you study physiology, that's like, wow, only God could do that. We can't do that. What we can do is we can harness the electrons as they're flowing and figure out a way to plug into the wall. What God did is he created the electrons. And he created the electron transport chain and the mitochondria to have this energization, this little powerhouse that is fed by a leaf. Right? It's just, it's, it's incredible when you look at God's creation and how awesome it truly is. That's, that's the awesomeness of being connected to the mind. We experience it physically, but also he created us in such a way that we can experience it spiritually, that we are spiritual beings, that we can be connected to the spirit of God, and that we can have life in him. We can't have life on our own, but we can have life in him. And that what he does is when we come into communion with him, when we... Um, enter into his rest, shalom. That means that we're operating according to his design, such that our will is his will. We're in accord. We're in a line. We're connected to the vine. When that happens, it bears fruit. What does that fruit look like? <coughs> Pardon? The fruit of the Spirit, exactly. So where do we find that? We find that in Galatians, chapter 5. You know, I'm sitting here talking about the fruit of the tree. Well, there's also a fruit of the Spirit. That fruit of the Spirit, Paul tells us about. And he, this is what Paul's talking about in chapter 5. He's talking about that mystical um, communion with God, being connected to Him. And... There's also uh, a mystical communion that you can have with the world. You have that naturally as a result of the fall. That corruption that will lead to death and destruction. But through the grace of God and bringing you back into uh, communion with Him, you can have uh, a walk in the Spirit. Now I'll start in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Because he had been talking about, you know, what does it look to like to walk in the world? And he says in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned uh, 
just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the outcome of communion with the world, which is dead, leads to death. You cannot have communion with God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So in that particular instance, Paul is addressing how we remain in sin, even though we've been redeemed. And how it, it takes discipline to make sure that you're in a line, in accord with God. It takes obedience. It's a choice that you make. So we understand the different parts of a person. What are the parts of a person? Well, I've got a physical part. That part I wrestle with in the night, and when it comes to morning, and I'm feeling like, man, I ache and I hurt, and I don't want to get up out of bed, but there's some other pressure that causes me to get out of bed. And so I get out of bed, and, and I'm thinking, man, the physical, it's just, it's just running down into death. It's going into the hole. That isn't what God intended that's a result of corruption. But nonetheless, I have a physical part. I also have an immaterial part. The part that when I look in the mirror and I see that person looking back at me, I think, wow, that they look much older than I am. <laughs> you ever had that experience? It's like, I was just 17, 18 years old. I was strong. I knew everything. Right? And I look at this person, they're old. They don't know anything. <laughs> That's the immaterial part. So we have a material part, we have an immaterial part. In that immaterial part, we understand the soulish nature, that which is the, the seed of the passions, which are good. We understand that God is passionate. He describes himself, one of his names is jealous. It's a, it's a kind of righteous fervor. Right? So we understand that there is a soulish nature to man. We understand that there is a spiritual nature to man. We understand that there is a... a a willful nature to man, might, right? And any of you that have ever participated in a sport and been successful at that understand that, that will. Because it comes a point when the physical starts breaking down. You run a, uh, a marathon, you hit what they call the wall. That's when the physical is working against you. When your chemistry is actually um, destroying your body. And in order to go past the wall, you have to overcome those emotions that say, Stop! This is stupid! And you have to push on. And you do that out of will. Right? And so, out of the will, you overcome your soulish nature and your physical nature for, for something that you value as good. That's what Paul, he gives us a lot of examples like that. That's, that's the discipline. That's the obedience part that comes out of the will. right? And when we're uh, commanded to uh, come into communion with God, this is what he says, in, uh, and this is the, the great uh, fear of Israel, Shema Yisrael. It says, this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God, the Lord, is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Right? So we're talking about those immaterial aspects of obedience. What does that mean, all your might? That means that you are um, bending your will in trust in Him. This is how you get to that place of communion with God, is by bending your will in submission to Him and who He is. That's what's being talked about here when it talks about the vine and the vine dresser and what it means to be in communion with Him. He says this in verse 4, 15 verse 4, he says, Abide in me, it means remain in me, draw near to me, dwell with me. Just like I started out talking about how I dwell with Karen. And I miss her when I'm out, forced out of that close communion. God wants us to dwell in him, abide in him. And he will do the same. He will abide in us. In other words, it's a reciprocal communion. God doesn't ask us to do something that he has not already done. He's asking us to um, believe in him, to trust in him, just as he has believed in us and trusted in us. He did that from the very beginning when he created us. It's hard to believe that God actually has faith in us, much greater than our faith. And he remains faithful, even when we are faithless. That's what the Bible tells us. He remains true to us, even when we don't remain true to him. And he says, abide in me. Take that part of your will and throw it all in. I'm all in. This is greater than a marathon. This is a relationship with the living God. And he will in us, and I in you. He'll remain in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. That's just kind of one of those, okay, let me give you some illumination. Now, by the way, there is no uh, life from death. There's only life from life. Um, if, if you want this life, you need to abide, because there just isn't any other way. If there was, he would have told us. Right? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, I mentioned last week, when he says... I am the vine, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. He has now taken it out of a nationalistic Israel and moved it to a communion offering with the whole world. This isn't just about the nation of Israel. This is about that everyone can have a relationship with God. Every creature. It isn't just about Israel being special. Special. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. In other words, the natural phenomena that will occur as a result of communion with God is going to be those fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because those are the very attributes of God. So if you're connected to him, you're going to be like him. doesn't mean you're going to be him. But you're going to be like him. You're going to start expressing the same attributes because your will is going to be in line with his will. And the things that you think are good are going to be the things that he has declared are good. Because that's what accord means. Right? So you're going to bear much fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There's, there's, uh, 
There is no place for non-life in God's kingdom. It's a statement that we could draw from that. It's a principle. So unless you're in the kingdom of God as a citizen, unless you're joined to him, there is no life. So any other way doesn't work. Um, you can't be your own king. Because what happens is, is that you're disconnected from the vine, you dry up, and there is no usefulness left in it. The only usefulness is as fuel for the fire. And so we talk about that, the whole um, issue of judgment and those that are not in the kingdom of God by their own choice. They choose not to accept the invitation of God to be in communion with Him, to have His life. And rather, they, they hold on to their own. They don't submit their will. They say, I am king. All the way to the very end. There will be a great white throne judgment we read about in Revelation. Right before the recreation of the heavens and the earth. And at that point, everyone will stand before God. And they will make their testimony. And what is that testimony? That I have trusted Christ? I myself, the sins within me, let alone looking at the forces against me, are greater than the hairs of my head. I can't number them. But I trust in God's loving kindness and his goodness. Okay? There are going to be those with that testimony. And then there are going to be those with the testimony of, you know, I tried and I tried and I tried. And if it isn't good enough for you, I guess you'll have to cast me into hell. Okay? But there will be those with that testimony because they're not willing to allow God to make a change in their life, to actually be connected to him. So what happens? They're burned. But that's not us, right? I'd like to think that that's not true of anybody in here, that nobody is holding on to their way that strongly that they can't be um, touched by the Spirit of God. Um. Well, I guess I'm not 15 quite yet. <laughs> but Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room. It's like the last, the last that I could together with them, I guess. I guess I'm still worried about being pruned for my health. Ah. So I'm not quite there because that's what he says, clearly. And although I've been blessed in my life, I'm not sure I have. Right. So Daniel's got a hand up. I was going to say that uh, it doesn't say that. You know, that's really quite saying that God says that the branches that produce fruit, He prunes in order that they would prune more fruit. And the branches that don't produce fruit, He casts out, and then they get burnt. And then I think that uh, you know, the bonfire is clearly during the uh, burning season. Uh, so, uh, depends on our own selves whether we remain in the vine or not. He said, you know, if you believe in me, you're my child. And so it's not okay whether I'm doing all these works and, and producing fruit or not that you remain in the vine. Right, so our understanding of fruitfulness um, needs to be stretched. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to two verses here. I'm going to take you to verse 2 which is the one 
or verse six, verse two and verse six. So let me let me read verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does that mean to take away? Talking about talking about the vine dresser. So if you have, I have a, a plum tree at a rental property. This is one thing I've observed. I can go a year with no fruit. And then, I'll, and then I'll trim it. And it'll bear fruit. It's alive. It's still connected to the root. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, talking about the, the, the work of the vine dresser, that God is going to work in your life actively to prune you to bear fruit, right? If he's going he's to do that pruning. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. In other words, pruning is the job of the vine dresser. Now let's take a verse, look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, talking about being joined to the, to the vine, being connected, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. So that has to do with connectedness and not pruning. So I'd say there's two, two it's very subtle, but there's a difference between what we understand as God's work in pruning us to bear fruit, and we may have a long stretch, only God knows um, the state of connectedness with Him. When I first became a Christian, it took a long time before you would see anything like fruit. The kind of fruit that God talks about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'd fail starting at one, and I'd fail for the other, other eight, right? the other... 11. I mean, I had no, no, uh, people would look at my life and I still talked like a sailor. Um, I still had all of those bad habits. Um, I was, uh, so I had yellow stains on my fingers because I, I was a guy that would I do my own rolling. I couldn't afford to buy cigarettes, so I'd buy big chunks of tobacco and I'd roll my own. You'd see me, long hair, um, cigarette hanging out of the corner of my mouth or in my hand. If you heard me talk, you'd say, there's no way that this guy's a Christian. Right? God wasn't done with me yet. He was, at this point, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He took away my hair. He took away my cigarettes. He took away my gnarly tongue, which sometimes can still get gnarly, and I apologize for that. Um, you know, much less so. so. So I would say that that is bearing fruit. Because of pruning. It just isn't the way that we would count it. Well, when you prune, prune the certain branches, not the others. Not, you, have, you have some branches that are connected to okay. the main trunk, main trunk, and then those branches have branches on them, and you prune those branches. Yeah. So, and, and I, I saw your hand, Tom. I'll get to you here in a second. Uh, one of the things that needed to be pruned in me that was a branch that could bear good fruit, um, the branch that was about overcoming habits, that wouldn't be a branch that would bear fruit forever other than the absence of doing that, right? And that I would be informed about how you do that. And the way that I quit uh, gave up tobacco was a good friend of mine came into my shop one day, and, uh, and I was they call it snipe hunting. I was out looking for cigarette butts and you take the tobacco out of it and roll it up and make another cigarette, right? 
And uh, so I had all my, my Roly stuff there on the table, and he walked into my shop, and he, he just kind of laughed. He said, yeah, I remember those days. God can, God can deliver you from that, too. And then we went on and talked about something. There was no judgment in his word, but I'll tell you what, I never, ever forgot what the Holy Spirit did in my heart that moment. I, I actually came to believe that God could deliver me from that, too. And that made a profound change. Right? But the change today, you, I mean, it's, a, it's an absence of that kind of fruit, but a presence of another kind of fruit. The, the area that was actually bearing fruit at the time that I was saved was my insatiable curiosity to know what it meant to be saved. You know, I heard the word the gospel. Well, you have a lot of gospels. You have the gospel of Microsoft, right? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we flip it around, like, got to have Jesus in your heart. What does that mean, right? And then I was in the process of trying to understand gospel, salvation, Jesus, and I came into contact with uh, a group of people, so I started reading the Bible. It's a good place to start to find out information about this stuff, right? So I'm sitting there reading the Bible, and I go into a, a bookstore, and uh, I'm trying to help my brother find the Bible, because I said, hey, you know, I think that I can understand this God thing by reading the Bible. You ought to, too. So I'm helping him pick out a Bible, and uh, the bookstore owner makes a, a really simple question. Oh, where'd you go to church? Because that's, you know, I mean, you're in a bookstore buying a Bible, probably you go to church. I said, well, I actually don't go to church. I'm, uh, I'm a leaf on a twig connected to the branch, and, and it was based on this. I didn't know it. But I was connected to the, by the language I used. They said, oh... You're with the Way International. So we are. Right? Christian cult. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe in the Trinity. Well, what's the Trinity? And a guy gave me a book. I still have it to this day. It's called The Mindbenders. A guy named Sparks. And I read that book cover to cover repeatedly, trying to understand the difference between a Christian cult and a true Christian, and trying to understand the Trinity. In fact, that... Miss, you know, it's like, what is the Trinity, man? I don't see the word in the Bible. How do they get this triune God, three is one? How does all that work, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here, I'm talking about it. I'm going to tell you that there's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit in this chapter. You see the Trinity right here in John 15. And I'm sitting there wrestling with this with my pea little brain as a new Christian. And I bought every book I could. And I listened to every a respectable Bible teacher I could trying to understand the Trinity. And I wrestled with it for 15 years. I went to seminary and I said, okay, I want to be able to speak the doctrine to somebody that doesn't understand what the Trinity is. And I want to do it in such a defensible manner that um, they're not going to come back to me and hit me with a question I haven't heard before and don't have an answer for it. Right? So I wanted to um, share the hope that was in me with gentleness and respect. Always being able to give an answer. So that took me a long time. That was one of those branches that God pruned really early on in my Christian career, in my Christian walk. He said, I'm going to nip this one right here. We're going to help you understand who the Son is and what the Son has done for you and how if you've seen Him, you've seen me. And how, what it means to be connected, right? So that was one of those things that that was one of those prunings that God was doing in me. And it made me such that I can stand here today and I can at least give you a shot at trying to give you an answer. And I'm very careful about that because, because I stand in a position here at the, at the 
front of the room, I have a, a, a very grave responsibility because I, I'm accountable for every word. And so I need to make sure that I've done my preparation, which my prayer is every week I come in here, it's like, Lord, I am not prepared. I'm not, I'm so overwhelmed with life that I am not prepared today to speak your word. But please, speak your word for these people's sake, not because of me. And so I try and do that. So that's what I, I'm, I am, I am a brother to, to, and hope that you grant me grace where I fail. But I'm going to give it a shot. Because I told God at one point in my life I would never say no when he asked. If he asked me to stand up and go or to stand up and speak, that I would stand up and speak and I stand up and go. And i got to tell you, there have been a lot of times when I've said, can I just say no this once? Um, because I know what it means for me to stand up and truly be prepared to speak in front of the congregation. For me, um, I have to do about um, three hours of prep for every minute that I'm going to speak. So that means if I'm going to speak for, or at least an hour of prep for every minute that I'm going to speak. So two of those hours would be in study, one hour would be in preparation to actually deliver. That means that if I'm going to stand up and speak for 30 minutes, do the math. That's an incredible demand on me to do that. But I know that from what I've gone through in training, that that's exactly what it takes. And I know I'm not giving you 90 hours every week. Right? Because I don't have that many hours in a week. So I come in here and I, I pray, Lord, I hope it's a deep well because I'm just lowering the bucket. And, and that's what that pruning did. That was a snip that God made in my life that happened when I was 18 years old. And I think that that's fruit. That's what it looks like. And I'm not. And I throw myself out as an example because it's like everybody in here has that same kind of example. Y'all have things that have happened in your life that have been formative. When I say formative, that means that there's a master gardener at work. There's a vine dresser. And he is not failing in his mission to you. We just don't know what it looks like until it pops out 40 years later. And it is almost 40 years. I'm 57 years old. So 39 years ago, God went snip. Tom, you had your hand up. Yeah, in agreement to your statement about connection versus being one of these people in verse 6, I think it's important to notice that there's a sudden change in pronouns in verse 6. It's no longer talking about the disciples where he says you and ye. Right. It all of a sudden says a man, anyone. Right. And then it talks about well, men casting them, not us, them. So there's a definite pronoun change. It's right. people that are not connected to the vine. It's not someone who's connected and then taken out. And so you have this constant fear of being taken out. But it's a person who is just a man who's, you know, right. the whole world lies in the wicked mind. Right. You know? if, they, if they think they can put down roots on their own, yeah. they're going to end up a dry branch and be cast out. An example of that might be Judas. You know, he walked with the disciples and well, maybe even did some of the works with them, but it says very plainly that he never believed. 
And, and that's where we get into this tension about once saved, always saved. Uh, do we bear fruit? Do we not bear fruit? Um, can anyone get out of God's hand? Right? Can you wiggle out? Can you change your mind? So the Arminian-Calvinist debate. Right? So when we look at Judas, we say, was he ever connected to the mind? May have looked like there was life there, but it wasn't connected to the mind. And so that's usually, from a Baptist theology perspective, that's where we fall. We say that it may look good, but it's like um, the seed that sprouts up on a rock. It has no root. Um, so there, it may have even started in goodness, but you have to look at how it holds in, what it's connected to. If it doesn't remain in the vine, <coughs> then it will then it will perish and then it'll get trimmed up and it won't be, it won't be producing any of the right or it won't have the potential for any of the right kind of fruits it'll get snipped quick. Right. Right. So, but if it's still a living, um, you know, stock of the vine, you'll trim some of the edges if it's getting... Right. Because there might be dead wood right. on a live branch. Right. Um, and so God's going to trim off that dead wood. He's going to say, yeah, that's not very, very good. And sometimes it gets cut all the way back. Uh, you know, when we're trimming things up, trimming my rogues, they got cut way back. Um, you think, man, that's there's like there's nothing left there. That's going to come back. I'm not killing the root. Um, that rhodes are pretty hard to kill. So we're out of time. But um, what I would say is that all of this ends. So it talks about abiding, remaining dwelling with, having that communion with God. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. If you're connected to the source of life, if you're connected to the source of joy, that joy can be in you. And then your joy may be made full. So this, all of this trial, all of this pruning is about helping you to be full of God's joy helping you to be full of God's life. And then he gives a single commandment, which is repeated um, throughout the Bible, but was finally focused in the New Testament. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That you completely empty yourself for the blessing or goodness of another. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. My final two minutes. What it means to be a friend with God is not that we are his equal or that we are his chum. He is our Lord. But he holds us in such a place of intimacy with him that that which can be communicated to us is fully communicated. In that sense, it's like he gives us his mail and he says, I want you to read my mail. This is the kind of friend that the uh, procurate had with Caesar. So when uh, Pilate was accused by the high priest... Um, they, the, the high priest said, you are no friend of Caesar if you let this man live. 
Pilate didn't trumpet Caesar, but he was Caesar's uh, ambassador. He was Caesar's uh, hands and feet on the ground. And he could read Caesar's mail and put his will in accord with Caesar's will. That's what it meant to be a friend of Caesar. What Jesus is talking about is what does it mean to be a friend of God? All things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And how does that occur? It occurs through the Holy Spirit. Because that's exactly what's going to um, come as we see, uh, as we read down through. That there is uh, a relationship with the Father, the vine dresser, the Son, the true vine, and the Spirit. That which communicates that life through all of the obedience in our life as we submit to Him into the world. Uh, well, I do think we all need to ask what is important in our lives. We do. Uh, and I'm feeling a little bit. But, but um, I kind of go back to the last chapters, 14 and 27. He said, I need to be my peace, not as the world is. Let your not heart not be troubled. So I think part of the remaining abiding, there's a shalom yes. to it. And, and he's talking to disciples who are literally going to be scattered throughout the world. And also going to give their lives in a worse way than he does. Um, there, there's a peace there, too. Yeah. Um, but the peace comes from trust. It comes from trust in that God is in control, in the sense that nothing happens apart from his which means you <laughs> Which means that, and, he, and what he said is, is that my purpose for you is all about good. You know, that's why uh, when we look at blessings, God wants to bless us. And I, I think of the expression uh, down under where they say, good on you, mate. And that's blessings. Blessings to you. Be, let good be on you. That's what God does to us. That's what he says to you good on you, my good on you. And if we trust that, if we can truly hold on to that, then that can take us through the darkest day. And my last week wasn't that dark. Stuff I didn't want to do. But there will come a dark day for everybody. And when that happens, know that God is good and that He can be trusted. Let's go ahead and close here. Lord, Thank you as we wrestle with the fruit uh, issue and abiding in you um, and being pruned and all of those issues, Lord, um, and your command to love. I think of myself as a very unloving person. As much as I might uh, desire in my heart, I know that I don't do what I ought to do and I do what I don't ought to do. But, Lord, I know that in you, um, you're, you're pruning that. You're changing that. You're conforming me into your image. As I submit my will to you. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for that same work that you're doing in everybody in here. Um, and Lord, we just ask for your continued work in our lives. Uh, we ask that you would encourage us, that you don't give up on us, even when we give up on you. And uh, we ask that you would enlighten us through your Holy Spirit of all that you're doing so that we can be encouraged. Lord, we ask.
ask that you would provide for us, that you would protect us. We live in a, a dangerous world that's very easily to get distracted in. Lord, help us not get distracted. And we ask for your provision and protection. And we thank you so much Lord, for who you are and what you've done for us. We can't say enough, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Please come soon. All this we pray in your name.